everyone. Welcome to the Just Cincinnati podcast. Uh, today, Kyle Vath and I are going to be speaking with Vanita Fleckinger. Vanita is an attorney with experience in immigration law, criminal defense, and family law. She was formerly employed at the Commonwealth of Kentucky Attorney's Office in a couple different counties, and she now practices independently. Um, immigration and immigration reform is a hot button topic, of course, that is frequently weaponized for political reasons, which means that discussions around it can be tense and highly polarized. However, there are a lot of groups and individuals who work full time navigating the ever changing landscape of immigration law, trying to help others with their legal situations. And Vanita is one of those people. Welcome to the show, Vanita. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, of course, we're going to be talking about immigration today, which is your specialty. And um, I, I've had some uh, personal experience working with you as well. Um, but if, if you would, for our listeners, uh, just tell us uh, about your work, where you're involved and, and kind of and how you got there. Just kind of oh. give us your story. OK, great. Um, so let me I'll just start at the beginning. Um, I um, practice immigration law now for the past um, 10 years. Uh, I am originally from India. I was born there. I immigrated to this country when I was a baby um, back in uh, 1970, um, not to age myself, but um, and I always wanted to be a lawyer. My grandfather and my uncle were both attorneys in India. My grandfather was a uh, judge, in fact, and I have very clear memories because even though um, I immigrated when I was little. My parents and I would visit India almost on a yearly basis. And I would remember um, sitting outside. Um, of course, he had an office outside of the home, but he had a large office in the front entry of our home in India and these large doors that had metal chains that would um, just kind of, you know, jingle when the doors were open. And I, I would sit there and I would watch and I'd see like people from the community just sitting around. And I just remember my grandfather helping and I, I wanted to do that. So I came to this country um, when I was young. I, I went to law school. I um, became a prosecutor and um, was not able to um, fulfill my dreams of practicing immigration law until um, you know few, uh, many years after into my prosecution years. So then I started practicing immigration law as well. So. Um, yeah, so that's what I do. I'm a member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, um, which we call AILA, which is a, a voluntary bar association in this country. And actually, we have members all over the world, um, both attorneys, um, professors, and, you know, with a common aim of, um, you know, helping immigrants and helping shape um, our immigration policies, which, you know, as you refer to as a hot, hot button topic and something that desperately needs, um, needs to be worked on and fixed. Kind of a long process there. Vanita, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on with immigration right now. You know, a lot of things on the, on the Southern border. What are some specific things going on in our area? What are, what are the things you're seeing in the, in the Northern Kentucky, greater Cincinnati area? Um, in our area, what I'm seeing is, uh, you know, of course, we have a lot of um, immigrants who are resettled here for various reasons that are coming from, you know, south of the border. So what I personally see is, you know, you hear a lot of in, in the news of individuals being released at the border. And right now, unfortunately, people are not being released. They're being turned back. But um, the individuals that are still allowing, uh, you know, um, 
to be kind of spread through our country, so to speak, are unaccompanied minors. So I'm seeing those individuals come into our, our area who have families that are already settled in this area. So you have, um, you have a lot of that for people that are undocumented. And once they're in our area, um, whether it's, if it's in Ohio, um, you know, they'll have to deal with immigration proceedings in Cleveland. And if it is here in Kentucky, it would be Louisville. Um, and depending on what kind of um, what kind of avenue they have for relief, um, of course, if it's an unaccompanied minor, there's without getting into too many details or everything's very fact specific. Um, you know, they might also have to go to Chicago for their cases. So you have that. And then also in, in our area, we have a huge population um, you know, I, I can't think of the numbers off the top of my head in both Ohio and Kentucky of uh, people that are here on work visas and, you know, are an integral part of our economy. So we're seeing a lot of that, too, because if you look at the immigration policies and kind of the headaches and the bumps that have been created throughout the years, um, you have your non-documented population that are dealing with their own issues. And then you have the um, other individuals that are here, quote unquote, legally, meaning they are here with proper work authorization, proper work papers, they too are being negatively affected by the current disarray in our immigration um, system because you find in those issues of family separation, et cetera, et cetera, because those individuals are, you know, having to rely upon their filings being appropriate and they come over here on work visas with their children often. We find the children are um, aging out. Um, those families aren't being given proper advice on how to make sure that their children are able to stay here while they're work authorized. So you have 18 year old seniors in high school or just going into freshman in college or, you know, being sent back to their home countries, which is also kind of scary. So you have a lot of different dynamics going on around here. And, you know, with the recent um, refugees of Afghans, um, you know, and the Haitians, that's a different uh, situations. We're going to be um, seeing those individuals, um, uh, you know, relocated in different areas as well. Yeah. Yeah. What, 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 um, in the, so you've been, you've been fully involved with uh, immigration, uh, law, you said for about 10 years, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Correct. So 10 mm -hmm. years. What, what, what are some of the, the biggest changes that have happened in those 10 years? Well, a lot of it is, so, um, I had, you know, my first encounters with immigration, I have to say is when I was a prosecutor. And um, I, I got to see firsthand how law enforcement, you know, worked or did not work with ICE. And I found like it was kind of a, what's that saying, kind of a whiplash effect, like one minute I would find that this is going on, you know, that there was this type of enforcement um, policy and the next, you know, the enforcement policy would would change. So I see a lot of that. As far as the actual law, the most significant, you know, change um, you know, that's occurred was, um, well, it's a little bit later than you had. Um, you were talking about like, it, you know, in 86. So our immigration policies kind of have changed throughout the years, right? So if you go back, some of the significant ones in our more recent histories in 1986, we have the Immigration Reform and Control Act, which really enforced, you know, focused on enforcement of hiring employees and, you know, how they would be vetted and kind of through the I-9 process to, to make sure that they were um, authorized to work in this country, more of a border control, you know, tire admin, uh, admission policies. And then more recently um, with DACA, which has been big in the news, um, and I think that was in 2012, um, DACA, which allowed for, um, you know, children that were brought to this country 
you know, very young and who didn't have you know, the opportunity to say, no, I'm not going to come in undocumented. So that was a big movement that happened. And more recently, I mean, we've all watched in the news, um, the different enforcement changes, you know, whether or not, um, and this is more kind of technical, like in removal proceedings, whether or not, um, you know, judges and prosecutors have discretion to look at each case individually, or if there's there's just this um, enforcement of we are going to just automatically deport people. Um, so it's been a lot in, in in kind of the enforcement policies and what the administration wants to emphasize. And now what we're seeing now is kind of a shift back to, um, you know, reinstate some of our humanitarian provisions, um, you know, the crisis at the border. I, you know, that's a problem right now. I know there's a lot in the news about Title 42 um, you know, implementing those changes because we have a lot of individuals coming to our borders who are seeking asylum. You know, Title 42 is kind of preventing them from doing that, which is kind of against our U.S. asylum laws, which says if you come to our border and you're seeking asylum, you have the due process right to go through that, you know, that process. I hope that answers the question. I think I went off on a tangent. But you're, if you're asking how it changes, you know, that's how I'm seeing it changes. You have more restrictive policies and then you have policies. It's almost like we don't exactly know how to handle the situation. So let's throw a lot of things at it. So you had even some very silly policies that, that were thrown out there that if you left certain blanks on applications, the whole application would get denied. Well, those things have been revoked and we've been you know, working through that. So um, it, it's complicated. And, and every week we get or every day we get um, information, especially through our ALA listservs about what's changing in the wind or um, you know, I, I can't remember. I got an email this morning about something. I was like, oh, okay. So now that's the thing. Um, so it's, um, I hope that answers the question. So the major laws, I think, you know, the big ones are two, 2012 um, with DACA. And now, of course, if you're listening, um, you know, to the news, which I know you are, the, um, you, you know, what, what um, our government is trying to pass this infrastructure law etc. Well, in there are certain um, benefits that we're trying to get for immigration. Um, Ayla is working hard, um, you know, trying to lobby to get um, to get changes in the law to help these these dreamers, these kids, you know, that are kind of in limbo right now. So um, I mean, hopefully we can get something passed. And I urge all of um, your listeners who, um, you know, want to see change. And, you know, and I have to say, overwhelmingly, voters want to see change. They may disagree as to what's going on in the border or this and that, but overwhelmingly, they support a path to citizenship. They support um, reforms to our legal immigration system and smart management of our borders. And we just don't have that. We have a lot of yelling back and forth. And, you know, I get questions all the time. Well, why don't they just go the right path? Well, the problem is, there isn't always a path for an individual to follow. Um, so um, anyway, so that's, you know, that's what's going on. So I'm very excited to see what um, this year and future legislation will do, because that's where the change has to come, you know, and of course the change has to come on an individual level as well as to how we um, deal with each other on an individual basis. But the real change in the law has to come from, from the federal government. Can you share with us some of your favorite success stories or maybe even just some stories that um, you think would share with our listeners the heart behind what you do, Um, you know, why you do what you do 
and uh, maybe some examples of that, that go past the talking points as you were just talking about the the, the bullet points that that uh, people will will hit on. Um, that can you just tell us some stories that may get it at some of the heart of what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, so um, the reason I do what I do, what why I wanted to get into immigration law, and and I have to say, even as a lawyer, until. I um, started practicing in this area, I was shocked by some things. So like I said, I'm an immigrant. Um, we came, you know, there's different ways of immigration. So we are a nation of not only immigrants, we are a nation of refugees. We are a nation of people who come here as dreamers for a better life, right? So in, in the beginning, you had people that were coming here, I'm talking in the 1800s and such, who came here as refugees, um, you know, running from persecution. And then you have, you know, the wave of individuals. We came, my father immigrated in the late 60s. So um, after I think it was 1965, immigration kind of opened up to the rest of the world. Prior to that, it was more, you know, the regulation was more pro-European, et cetera. And so we came in, you know, during that that wave. So I came in um, to the country. I was a naturalized citizen. Actually, I was a green card holder for a very long time. Um, and then I became a naturalized citizen um, well into, I would say, I was in my last year of high school. Um, you know, I didn't know until I became an uh, immigration attorney that, as a green card holder, I didn't necessarily enjoy all the benefits that a citizen had or a naturalized citizen, that I could have lost that, you know, um, green card status. So, you know, knowing those kinds of things, I thought it was very important for people, not only in my community, which is, you know, I, I'm Indian, the Indian Asian community, but other, um, you know, foreign nationals here just don't have that information and just kind of wanted to pass that information also, being born in, in another country and then growing up in a different country, um, I think I learned this term, I'm not even sure if it's still used when I was in college, it's called marginal ethnicity. So I, um, as an Indian, I look like an Indian, but when I'm in India, I'm too American to be considered really an Indian. And then as an American, um, I am an American, I grew up here, this is my culture. I, at least in the beginning, I, well, I didn't really look like what your typical American looked like, you know, and my food wasn't the same, et cetera, et cetera. So growing up like that, you realize that we are one world. We are all the same, um, all of us. And I do believe that we do need border control. We need to be able to understand and help the individuals within our country, as do other countries. But we are one world. We are I mean, I hope, um, you know, we're able to colonize on another planet one day and all of that. I love space travel, but we really are the same. All of us have the same desires, the same goals. And when I started practicing in immigration law, um, you know, the majority of my clients are from south of the border. And each story that I heard and the sincerity in their eyes and the the psychological, I don't know even how to explain it, that they went through to make that decision to leave their home and to come here, not not just for a better life, but for safety, um, that has really blown me away. So I have uh, met individuals. I met this one woman. She was escaping a very abusive situation um, in the area um, where she was from, which was Guatemala. Um, she um, was from an indigenous um, tribe. So, um, you know, the indigenous people in that country are treated 
even um, worse than, you know, a, a regular citizen, I suppose. So she was escaping from, you know, domestic violence and the persecution um, by the government in the sense that she had nobody to help her. And uh, she came with a broken arm. She had to carry one of her children and kind of um, the other two very, very small children had to walk beside her. And um, I know there's a lot of hatred towards people like that. But when you sit down and you look at that person in their eyes, you can see they did not have a choice. Nobody really wants to leave their home. You know, everybody misses home. That's where you were born. That's, you know, where your favorite food is, your language, your loved ones. But if it's so, so bad that you have to leave, um, that's a very real situation. I also represent a lot of children who were sent um, by family members um, alone with coyotes, where you know, with individuals that they paid, and 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 they said, please take my child to the border, or um, you know, parents here that are in the United States calling for their children to come here because they know how bad the situation is there. And could you imagine? Um, you know, I have my children are older now. But I, I, you know, sometimes I look at their children who are 10 or 11 years old. I can't imagine making that sacrifice for them to come here. They're coming here for a better life. Um, there is um, no other reason for that. I mean, and sure, amongst the, you know, thousands upon thousands of people who come, there are certainly individuals that have, you know, an intent that they, hey, I just want to come here for a better life. That is such a small minority of individuals that are just... I don't know, for whatever reason, that, that, that aren't humanitarianly, um, uh, for humanitarian reasons. And then on, on, on the other level, so, so these children who come, when you hear from them and you hear how they would go days without eating, um, they would be pulled out of school, they would be forced to work in the fields, and the gangs that they have to deal with in their home countries, these aren't just, you know, quote unquote play gangs that you kind of, you know, you know, we're we're on this corner, they're on this corner. These are serious um individuals that are um trying to get to these children, trying to make these children, you know, join their gangs, do violence, go into drugs. And then um I know I'm talking too much, but I have, you know, and then on the other hand I've dealt with, I remember this one gentleman who was just 19 years old facing um deportation because he came here as a baby. He didn't know he, you know, he was brought here as a baby. And, um, you know, because of some very minor, I think it was a marijuana charge, if I remember, he was being um, sent back to his country, a country he's never known, a language he doesn't know at all. So there's, there's all kinds of individual stories um, out there. And I would just ask people just to take a minute and just to kind of you know how they say you build compassion by placing yourself in that person's position. If you could just take a minute just to do that, um, maybe some of that anger can dissipate and we can work towards a common you know, resolution or at least understanding and kindness that we need to teach, uh, you know, treat individuals humanely, treat individuals, you know, like we would like to be treated. Right. Could you imagine being in a country where you don't know the language and you ran here to this country for safety? Um, I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine it. I mean, I I don't speak Spanish. So sometimes I get frustrated when I'm like speaking to my clients, you know, not frustrated in an angry way, but just frustrated. Like, okay, I hope I'm conveying what I'm trying to say to you, right? Because I see it in my own language when I speak to Hindi speakers. It, you know, the, the things get lost in translation. And, um, but to be dependent on that for everything, your everyday life, I can't imagine the fear and um, the stress that people go through. I hope that answers that question. 
Absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was something we were going to ask you is how, how can we foster more compassion in our communities? Um, and you, you know, you said like just taking a minute, just taking a minute and, and seeing things from, from their perspective. Uh, what are some other ways that we can? Well, I, you know, look at your own lives. None of us, unless you're 100% Native American, right? And then if you want to talk about the Native Americans, you'd have to go way, way back in history to see, you know, actually where they came from. But all of us are immigrants or, or products of refugees, right? Remember that, right? How many friends do I have that have that, you know, great Italian grandmother pasta recipe, you know, and I've eaten it and it's pretty much great. And, and I can compare it to food I've had in Italy, right? Or, you know, my husband is, comes from a Germanic family. There's a lot of pride in that German heritage, equal amount of pride that we're Americans. So remember that we are all immigrants. Or, or products of immigrants, products of refugees. And then I, I'm going to quote, I actually heard a quote, I don't know if you've seen that show, Ted Lasso, but he was quoting somebody else. And, and um, oh, I think it was Walt Whitman, but he said, um, be curious, not judgmental. And I thought that was a beautiful quote. And be curious, be kind. You know, instead of um, looking at somebody that may dress differently, may not speak your language, you know, look at them with kindness for one, and you don't have to engage with them. But if you choose to engage with them, ask questions. You know, when I first came to this area, into Cincinnati, we came from Texas um, um, uh, and um, kind of lived all over, lived here for the majority of life. When we came here, all the Indians knew each other because there weren't that many Indians in the area at the time. And I would get so many questions about my culture, my, you know, and I always thought, well, I'm American, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Why do I have a dot on my head and stuff like that? And these were people that kindly asked me questions. Some of the questions were silly and funny. I don't really see that much anymore, you know, and maybe that's because we have Google, right? You can get on Google and find out. But I would say be curious and, 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 and understand that and understand that in your own history. You know, we're, we're all, um, we all are human. We all suffer. We all love, we all have families, um, and we all want a better life. I mean, all of us, um, and, and that's all. And nobody is coming here to hurt anybody. It's just they want a better life for themselves. And in turn, they make a better life for all of us. You know, they become our fabric of our nation. They help our economy. Um, you know, so I hope, I hope that answers that question. Yeah, you know, I think so much of the discussion revolves around the idea of the, the uh, uh, mindset of scarcity. Um, you hear, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to take our jobs. We don't have enough jobs for our own people. They're going to take our jobs. They're going to, you know, live off the system. They're going to, you know, use our Medicaid and we, we just don't have enough. There's not mm -hmm. enough. Maybe talk to that for a moment of, of the idea mm -hmm. of scarcity and abundance and how that plays into the immigration discussion. No, that's a very fear-based, um, very fear-based, right? And um, I kind of, it, 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 it's its the opposite end of what, what I've just discussed about compassion. And, and I think a lot of that is exaggerated. For example, take, taking jobs. I mean, so for a moment, not talking about undocumented individuals, but, you know, people who come here on work visas, et cetera, they're not taking any jobs that are not, you know, um, they're not taking jobs. There's a whole huge vetting process 
for those individuals to come here and work in the United States. And here in the United States, if you talk to the industries, you know, a lot of our tech industries and even our medical industries, they are desperate for workers. And, and, and these workers aren't coming here to take anything from anybody. They're coming here to help us, you know, and, and to become a part of our, our, our society. And um, so in the scarcity, you know, I've not really seen that. I always called it like the sandbox mentality. This is the way that I view it. And, you know, when you look at kind of a kindergartner not wanting, you know, another child to play in the sandbox, you know, as an adult, you're looking at it. And it's really kind of funny because you're like, oh, no, no, there's plenty of room there. You know, look, there's another sandbox there. Um, We don't have that same kind of view as far as immigration is concerned. I, I, you know, um, there are checks and balances that are in place to make sure that we're able to, um, you know, place these individuals and, and, you know, they, they do become a fabric, you know, kind of get assimilated into our society. They don't come here and live off the system. All of them want to work. And, and unfortunately, the way that the system is set up, um, you know, our government needs to provide access to employment authorization for individuals that have been here for 20, 30, 40 years, um, need to, you know, provide access for them to have driver's licenses and stuff like that. Nobody wants to come here and just live off the system. I'm afraid that that's just an exaggeration of individuals who do come here and they do, you know, you know, if you're an asylee in this country, you are able to get, um, you know, um, uh, assistance from the government. I mean, if you become asylee in this country, you have ran and, and come here with little to nothing. And, and I know that doesn't exactly address the question, but that's kind of how I see the issue. Yeah, Vanita, did you um, did you did you watch that movie recently, In the Heights? No, I have not watched that. Okay, because is I mean, that you know, that um, oh, Lin Manuel. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's on my list. I have not been able to see that. Yeah, yet. it's yeah. great. And and DACA, you know, DACA and Dreamers mm-hmm. and all that right. play, a, play a play a large role in that movie. So it's really interesting. It was it was very well done. I'd I'd like to get your uh, your take on it after you see it. See what yeah, you think about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, DACA is a huge thing. I I I I just hope. I just say everyone can pick up their phone and call, you know, their local representatives and say we need to. Listen, I was brought here as a baby. I had no idea where I was going, right? My parents went on a plane. They came here. They were documented, everything like that. But those children, your kids up until a certain age, of course, you know, they get into their teens. Um, I would say 11, 12 is when it starts. They don't want to go with you. But before that, when you're younger, I mean, you're just dragged everywhere with your kids. And this is the only home that they have known. And I have met with so many children who are, um, I'm trying to remember the numbers. We have, I think I wrote it down somewhere, the the millions. So this is um, probably a couple of years old, but there are um, were approximately 3.6 million Dreamers residing in the U- U.S. So Dreamers are undocumented immigrants who came here as a child. And um, many of them didn't apply for DACA, you know? And so we have approximately 653,000 or something that are currently protected with DACA. And so, um, and then with the the recent um, stay in the DACA provisions, if those individuals did not um, apply for it to be renewed, um, they are now in the category of new applicants. So new applicants are now placed on hold 
And these individuals, they are doctors, they are lawyers, they are nurses, they are teachers, they serve in our military. They don't know any other home but the United States, right? They may have the grandma that makes the best pasta or tortilla, but this is their home. You know what I mean? And I don't think anybody um, would want to displace these individuals. So anyway, that's my, I, I really have a strong, so I will have to see that movie. I'll put it up on the top of my list. You've mentioned calling our, our representatives. What, mm-hmm. So specifically about DACA, what, what should they call for or what should they ask their leaders to do? What, what are, what's the actual ask there? I would ask, I would, I mean, all, all of our leaders know what DACA is and you can simply state that we support a path of citizenship to, you know, those kids who are who are who are dreamers who came here as um un- as children undocumented with their ch- with their parents we want we support the path to citizenship for those individuals you know right now you know what daca gives them is employment authorization and the ability to to renew every couple of years well we need to get beyond that first we need to get daca reinstated right so all those pending applications and these millions of kids that qualify can qualify for it and then they can kind of, you know, have a sense of breath of relief that, um, you know, they they can be in this United States without fear of being deported. But I, I think that's the main thing. And again, like I said in the beginning, we all support a path to citizenship, right? We, we want people to go the right route, but let's have a route for them to, to pursue. So, um, and there are so many individuals in this country who are in limbo because of that, you know? Um, so that's what I would say. I, I would say that. I would say, Call them, say that. Um, you know, every every um, every uh, representative has an individual who deals with immigration. You know, maybe you can get a hold of them. I, I love Google. You know, Google their websites, and you can you can and, and just say that we need a reform of our legal immigration system. Um, you know, our we we have over a million uh, cases in backlog um, with our immigration courts. We have um, applications for green cards for you know, other types of um, avenues for, uh, you know, coming to this country. I have a a family right now who um, is, uh, her husband is um, in another country and they're married. Um, There is a pathway to get him here, but because of the backlog, it is taking forever. And unfortunately, she's become very ill here. You know what I mean? So she needs her husband here. And so because of all of this backlog, because of we can't get that going, you know, there's these kinds of delays. Families are being separated. There's a lot of people in limbo right now. So those are the key words that I would say that I would, okay. you know, talk to the legislators. Yeah. What other areas, you know, to someone who is concerned about this and wants to, you know, do their part as, you know, maybe a uh, a nurse, a teacher who who maybe doesn't have some of these connections. What are what are some small ways that they can help uh, in our local community, help the immigration community and, and, and make a, a little bit of a difference? That's a great question. I would say, you know, um, education is key. And what I find is people that are here, whether they're documented, whether they are undocumented or on whatever visas, there's kind of a really lack of information as to what their rights are, what they can or cannot do. And um, AILA is a great organization of attorneys, like I said, across the country. If, you know, it's a teacher that's part of a school or an employer, you know, or something like that, and or, you know, in a church group, and they want somebody to come and just educate 
um, you know, their their own, you know, significant population about what can be done. Um, you know, definitely reach out to immigration lawyers. We love to talk and, we, you know, we would love to pass on that type of information. Um, there's different um, organizations in wherever you live. I work with the ION Center that used to be formerly the Women's Crisis Center here in Covington. Um, they help um, citizens, of course, and they help a lot of um, immigrants, both documented and undocumented, who face um, all kinds of struggles, um, you know, in, in this particular area, it's for violence protection, because, it, it, you know, a, another factor that we haven't really talked about is undocumented individuals are kind of your prime. Um, uh, it, it, they're often victimized for, for various reasons, right? And then, you know, Catholic charities in this area, um, different churches, there's all kinds of um, with just a quick Google search, all kinds of community organizations that are there and willing and wanting to help um, the immigrant population. And they need funding. They need um, individuals that, you know, that are able to, you know, lend a hand. I, I visited a place in Cincinnati. Oh, gosh, this has been a couple of years ago. And um, I don't know if it was Habitat for Humanity, but somebody came in and helped kind of build this um, place for or, you know, rehab this place for, you know, women who are, were escaping domestic violence. And these are women who are undocumented, who are, who are, who are very much um, um, victimized by oftentimes, um, you know, their um, documented or U.S. citizen spouse. So it gives them and their children a place to live. So I, there is so much that can be done out there, but I would say that, and I would also say, you know, just, Wherever you can, if we keep our eyes open, um, you know, with anything, if you keep your eyes open, you will find somebody that's in distress. And sometimes it's just kind of giving a nod or a smile. And if for, you know, whatever reason, or maybe just keeping your mouth shut and moving on, if hmm. you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I hope that helps. That's good. Well, Vanita, thank you so much for sharing with us um, your incredible work. And I know it's inspiring to me to hear that and to know that good people like you are out there advocating and defending for people who are escaping awful situations. And and I think it, it inspires all of us to, to do those small little things of uh, just, just a little bit more compassion. So thank you. And, you know, as we close out, one of the things we like to do is end on a, a very serious note of uh, asking a very important question. Um, <laughs> since this is a, a Cincinnati podcast, yes. uh, Greater Cincinnati podcast, you know, we like our chili here in, in the Greater Cincinnati <laughs> area. That is part of our, our culture, um, be it good or bad. Um, so our question we always ask is, uh, do you like chili, uh, the Cincinnati chili? That We've changed our question a little bit over time because we found so many people who don't. And it's the beautiful diversity of our community. Um, so do you like it? And if you do, what is your favorite Cincinnati chili? <laughs> well, I'm vegetarian, so okay. um, but I have to say Skyline, in my opinion, has the best vegetarian options. Okay. But just a funny story, it was a kind I, I remember distinctly. I, I went to Sycamore, so I'm an aviator. I graduated from Sycamore many moons ago, and I still remember eating Skyline for the very first time. I did eat meat at the time. I have to tell you, when I came to this country, my um, parents were so concerned that my 
brother and I would not fit in, that mm-hmm. they, you know, welcomed us eating McDonald's or whatever, right? Okay. So I did, I did eat meat <laughs> at one time, and I still remember sitting down, and I thought it was the most amazing thing I ever had. <laughs> 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 and running back home to say, hey, look, I discovered this. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, yeah, there you go. Thank Kyle, you. Th- that is an important question. <laughs> I, yeah. I think this is, I think Vanita's the first person who has had a positive, like, who has, who's really said something great about Cincinnati chili. Yeah, yeah. Really? It took us this many interviews. That's amazing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, great. Thank you. That's great. This this has been great, Vanita. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. And uh, we look forward to seeing what else you're, see, see see what comes up in the future for you. Thank you so much, guys, and, and thank you so much. And I think this is great for what you're doing. Cincinnati is such a great area. Like I said, I'm an aviator. I live in northern Kentucky, but I consider, you know, still we're in the greater Cincinnati area. So thank you guys for Absolutely. what you're doing and having me on, and, and, and especially for such an important topic that I'm passionate about. You guys have a great day. Thank you, Vanita. enjoyed our podcast today we'd so very much appreciate you subscribing reviewing and sharing our podcast this will help more people find us and join the movement and if you're able to support this podcast and the work we do please head on over to our patreon page at patreon.com slash just cincinnati we're grateful for your support in amplifying the voices of those bringing about a more just cincinnati Our theme music for Just Cincinnati was generously provided by the internationally renowned but locally based singer and songwriter Kim Taylor. More of her intimate and folksy music can be found on her website at kim-taylor.net or wherever quality music is streamed.